0: Amen. 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 Church, I'm very excited for what God is doing tonight. I'm so excited for what God has been doing for the last number of weeks in our services. He's taken us through so many things. And how many of us have recognized by now that anytime God takes us through a series, something shifts and something amazing happens? And church, we get to be here to witness it. We get to be a part of it. And for that church, I am grateful. Also, want to take time to, uh, I know our pastor and first lady, Sister Michelle, I know that uh, they're not here tonight, but I want to be sure to give them thanks for allowing us to handle the service the way we're doing it tonight. There's going to be two of us speaking, two of us preaching tonight, myself and then Brother Josiah. And so I would just want to give honor to where honor is due. And I want to make sure that we give thanks to our pastor tonight. Our pastor is one that does really believe in the ministry of young men. And that doesn't happen in a lot of places. So I'm very thankful for how pastor has chosen to build up the young ministers in this church. I just have one short group of verses tonight. We're going to turn to the book of John, the 15th chapter, and we're going to turn to verse 9. John 15 and verse 9. And it reads, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. for his friends. Turn to one another and make one statement. You've been asking the wrong question. Amen. You can all be seated. Husbands, do you remember where you were the first time she asked you those two back-to-back questions. You were sitting down for dinner. You had been working so hard at your job. You had put in a few years. You've worked so hard. You've gotten so many debts paid off. You're ahead on the mortgage. You finally started buying into that employment-based life insurance plan. You've made enough payments to be completely vested in it. So if anything happened, your family was going to be taken care of. And she decides to try something new for dinner. It's a casserole. But the casserole is just fantastic. It's got all the right taste, all the right texture. Casseroles can come with anything, so I'm not going to be specific on that. But everything is perfect. Perfect. And she knows how well you've been doing. She is thanking you for working so hard to set up the family for success. And she looks deep into your eyes and she says, Hun, do you love me? Well, yes, I do. You know that I do. I'm so thankful for everything you've done. I'm so thankful that if anything were to ever happen to you, our family would be taken care of. You've done so great. Do you love me? Yeah, I do. Would you die for me? And you wanna say, absolutely. But the reality is, as you know, she's just thinking about that life insurance policy And you start to wonder, what was in that casserole? Would you die for me? Now turn to your neighbor again and say, you've been asking the wrong question. There's a certain element of how we think about that question culturally, individually, and even as a church. We hear that question, would you die for me? And sometimes we've just overly romanticized it. We've thought about it as the greatest thing we could ever do for someone is give our life for theirs. And that's true. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with thinking about that. That is in fact true. That is what Jesus did for us. He gave his life as a ransom for our sins. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But what I'd like to ask everybody is, is that all there is to what Jesus said there in the 15th chapter of John? When he said, greater love has no man than this, than that he should lay down his life for his friends. Of course, Jesus was talking to the disciples, and he was speaking in reference to the fact that he would surely be giving his life On the cross for our sins, the final atonement, the complete and final propitiation for our sins, Christ, the Messiah, would give his life for ours. But I think there's something more. So we've already asked the husbands, do you remember where you were when she asked you that question? but the reality is, is we've said it in multiple occasions. Mothers, do you remember how you felt that first time you held that newborn baby in your arms? Through nine months of carrying that child, the intense pains of labor, and now you're finally holding that newborn baby in your arms, and all of a sudden you feel that moment that experience of mother bear, of mama bear. I would do anything for this child. I would go without food for this child. I would go without money. I would go without clothing. I would go without anything to make sure that this child can live. I would die for this child. Hyphen. Whether you're single, dating, engaged, married, whatever your status is, especially my hyphen young men, you've been there. That moment on the playground at, at elementary school, sitting outside the tunnel, your crush walks by, and you look to her and you say, I'd die for you. I'd do it. You had no idea what you were talking about, but you knew that was the right thing to say, and still she didn't sit by you at lunch. Would you die for me? We've all wrestled with that question, and I believe that anytime time we've said yes to that question, I know for a fact we've been serious. I know for a fact that there are husbands in this sanctuary right now that would take a bullet for their spouse. I know that there are mothers that would take a bullet for their children. I know that there are brothers and there are sisters that would take a bullet for their siblings and that there are individuals, single individuals, that would take a bullet for any one of their friends. We would do that. And I don't want to detract anything from that. But what I do want to ask is, is that all? Do you know anyone that has ever had to give their life for you? Have you had that experience of someone sacrificing themselves so that you can live? Many of us who have ever lived the life of a public servant or as a first responder, as a military serviceman or military service woman, you tend to know a short list or maybe even a long list of those who did pay that ultimate sacrifice. I know that I've had one in my life that seemed to have a knack for saving my life. In 2011, there was a squad of Marines that was deployed to Marjah, Afghanistan. And they were tasked with going out on combat patrols to go and look for enemy insurgents and roadside bombs, trying to keep the village safe and trying to free those who were living in that village of the oppressors that were torturing them. And on one particular patrol, there was a young Marine, and he was standing next to a squad leader, and as they were walking through one of the roads, the squad leader happened to recognize that there was an enemy that popped out from a couple blocks away. And in his swiftness, he turned around, and he shoved that young Marine back behind the wall, knowing that they would be taking fire. And that squad leader drew the fire away, so that his young Marine would not be blindsided. He wanted to save his life. Well, it worked that day, and and both were able to walk away unscathed. But there would come a time, just a month or so later, when another patrol would be tasked with going out. And on that patrol, that same squad leader knew that there was a Marine who had some things going on back home. And the squad leader knew that something was going to happen that day. Nobody had a good feeling about it. And when you're on a deployment, and everyone has that same bad feeling, it never ends well. Well, that squad leader, being a phenomenal leader, told the young Marine that he was not to go on the patrol that day. That he had to stay back. And that young Marine wanted to go. He wanted to be there. He wanted to help. He wanted to serve. But the squad leader looked at him and said, you've got too much going on. You need to stay back. And sure enough, just a couple of hours later, an explosion happened. And that squad leader gave his life. But he knew that his Marines needed to come back safely. That day, that squad leader gave his life for all of the other men in his unit. He gave his life so that his Marines could go back and they could live, because he believed they had a purpose. And he was willing to give himself for that purpose. So truly, it is good. It is holy. It is right that a man would show his deepest love by laying down his life for a friend. But could there still be more? After all, it was an army general by the name of George S. Patton who said, No man ever won a war by dying for his country. He won the war by making the enemy die for his. So what's the war that you're facing? Is the war in the home? Is the war at the job? Husbands? Have you come tonight asking yourself, how can I heal my marriage? Parents, have you come tonight with the question, how can I heal? How can I mend the relationship that I have with my children? Young men, young women, have you come asking yourself, how can I live for God? How can I be holy? How can I live with this boldness that our pastor has been preaching about? How can I do anything for God? How can I fix this mess that I'm in? I believe that in the depths of our hearts and the depths of our souls, we believe that the answer to that question is to sacrifice something. But what do we sacrifice? What's the answer in the event that we're racking our brains trying to figure this out, many of us would go to, well, I must love. The Bible talks so much about love, so therefore I must love. But how do I do that? I believe it's because we've been asking the wrong question. We've been asking ourselves, and we've been asking our friends, our loved ones, our partners, our spouses: Would you die for me? Would I die for you? Well, church, the reality is that sometimes dying is too easy. Dying is too easy because it puts the focus on what would I do, what's my job. And sometimes saying that you'd be willing to die for someone is really more about you than it is about them. And so husbands, I'd be willing to submit to you that the cries of your wife is not saying, would you die for me? But it's, would you live for me? Fathers, Maybe the cries of your children are not, would you work hard and take us to Disneyland? Not, would you die for me? But dad, would you sacrifice some time and come and throw a ball with me? Dad, would you be there for me? Dad, would you live for me? Church, I know that God hears the cries of his sons and daughters. I know that he has heard us here tonight. I know that he has heard you in your home when you're trying to figure out what in the world is the right answer. And I know that God has heard us when we've said, yes, I would die for you. I want us all to stand. And in this moment, I want us to close our eyes. And I want us to hear what the Lord is truly saying in his answer to these questions. We've said to our spouses, we've said to our friends, we've said to our children, we've said to our friends and our co-workers, I would die for you. And we've even said to God, God, I would die for you if it came down to it. But church, his response to us tonight is, I know. I know that you would die for one another. I know that if your life was ever required, you would give it. I know that you would give yourself. But my beloved children, hear my voice. I have not asked for you to die for me. Rather, I am pleading, would you live for me? Church, would you live for me? Would you live For God. So what truly is it that we are willing to sacrifice? I know that this is a difficult thing to consider. And sometimes we find it even hard to worship in a setting like this when such a question has been asked but would you lift your hands? Would you take that situation that has been gnawing at your heart and would you say, God, I hear you. God, I've been asking myself the wrong question. God, I've been asking my spouse the wrong question. God, yes, we would die for one another. But Lord, right now, I commit, I will live for you. Take a moment and respond to the Lord.
1: And the church said amen, praise God. Thank you, Brother Nicholas. That was, a, that was a powerful word from the Lord. I'm so thankful that we have such amazing anointed men and women of God that, and that we have a pastor that allows us to minister to each other as, as God has it set up. Praise the Lord. I'm so excited about what God's already done in this service tonight. So thankful for the opportunity to be able to stand before you, to be able to, to minister and to speak to you. And uh, I'm so excited, so excited about what God's already spoken. Uh, Brother Nicholas and I met at Urshan College, and uh, we ministered together in the nursing home ministry there. And uh it had a lot of fun there. He got to see, I believe it was my first time ever speaking in front of people. I don't know if any of you know, but I am deathly afraid of public speaking. I took a, uh, a public speaking anxiety test, and it was like four points from the highest but praise be to God, he has his plans, and he knows what he's doing. So before we, before we go further in, in the word and what God has, has been churning and been, been growing in us tonight, I would love for us to go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, you can never never talk to God enough, never ask God enough to be able to move. So we're going to go to the Lord. God, I thank you so much for this evening And we glorify you and we praise you, Jesus. For your word, Lord, for your spirit that is already moving. God, we release your spirit to move freely in this house today. God, we want your word to speak life into us. God, we pray liberty over every mind and over every heart, God. That you will be able to take our lives and do what you want with it. God, we thank you for the sacrifice that we've been called to. For the authority and the anointing that we've been given. And God, we want to move on based on what you say. So have your way, Lord, in this house and every single moment moving past it. In Jesus' name. I'm going to start off with reading one scripture tonight. It's 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. I'll be reading from the King James Version. And The story that I'm reading from is one of my favorites in the entire Bible. It's the story of Elijah. The mighty man of God. In my mind, one of the most powerful men of God in the Bible because of some of the physical things that he saw God do. So in First Kings chapter 19, verse 9, we read, And he came thither to unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah. What doest thou here, Elijah? You may be seated. The title that I feel to bring to you tonight is another question. God's asking questions tonight. And the question that I have to bring to the church is why are you here? Why are you here? You see, Elijah was a prophet of God. Elijah had done so many amazing things In Israel. Elijah was used to be able to to prophesy. He was used to be able to heal. He was used to be able to, to be able to promise supreme provision. And we see time and time and time again that he was able to speak and things happened. But at this point in this scripture, we read that he had the biggest showdown biggest showdown. He went down a mountaintop. All of Israel had turned away from God. They were serving Baal. They were serving the grove. They were serving everything that this world has to offer. And in that, he ended up sacrificing. He ended up building an altar, and God ended up showing his power from fire coming down from heaven. And against every single odd and every single natural thing, God showed up and God showed that he was the one and only God. And this scripture that we read here is Elijah's reaction immediately after that miraculous thing happened. You see, when the miraculous things in our life happen, when God uses us to be able to step out of our comfort zone and God shows his power, we're not acting in our own power but we're acting in God's power and what's gonna happen is that the enemy naturally, this is a law in the world, the enemy, negativity, different things are gonna come against you because you're not the one that did that. So we can choose to either rely on ourselves or we can choose to rely on God, the one that did it, the one that provided, the one that has purposed for each and every one of us to be able to live outside of our physical ability and be able to move into the supernatural. See, Elijah was a man of God that as I said earlier, he saw physical power of God. The physical power of God move. He spoke and there was no rain, an extreme drought in that time. He spoke and fire came down from heaven and Elijah was able to see what others couldn't because he was obedient. It's obedience that is such an important key to being able to step outside of yourself and continually walk in the things of God. It's obedience in the simple things that allow you to be able to step beyond yourself and beyond your plans, your hopes, your dreams to be able to do what only God could speak and plan in your life. I'm sure that as Elijah was stepping through his life, he felt that, he wasn't enough. I'm sure that as Elijah was stepping through his life, he was saying, God, I don't, I don't know about this. He ended up staying with a family, and, and the child died, and he asked God. You can read through some of the most human interactions. He's like, God, this family has been so good to me. Why did this child die? And in that time, instead of relying on himself, he relied on God, and God performed the supernatural, and did something that Elijah had not seen in his ministry up to that point. You see, Elijah was obedient in everything that he did. And that is exactly what we, the church, are called to do. When we are obedient to God, our obedience allows God to be able to take us and step us onto an entirely new and different path. When we're obedient to God, we're able to operate in things that we cannot understand, that we cannot fathom. But when we're obedient to God, everything in us has the ability to change. So I'm here tonight to encourage you that whatever path you're on and whatever challenges you're seeing in your personal life or in your ministry, God knows exactly what you're up against. And he has so much more in mind for you. Something important about the prophets of that time. Something that defined them, that set them apart. That looking down the street, you could see somebody and you'd say, that is a prophet of God. That is a prophet of Jehovah was their mantle, their cloak. It's something that I absolutely love because there was something physical that the children of Israel were already set apart. The children of Israel already dressed differently. The children of Israel already dressed differently. But when God called somebody to a deeper level, to a deeper purpose, he said, I'm going to give you something extra special, that you're going to have a cloak that when anybody in the world sees you, whether inside my people or out, they will notice my blessing, my calling, and my purpose on you. You see this cloak, this mantle, this mantle, It wasn't something that they just wore every once in a while. It was something that they wore all the time. They were wearing this cloak when they were traveling. They were wearing this cloak to be able to protect them from the elements. They were wearing this cloak, and it was a symbol of the glory of God and what God has done in their life. They were wearing this cloak, and it showed every single battle that they've been through, every fast that they went through, every single sacrifice that they put in their life. You could see somebody's ministry through their cloak, through their mantle. And just like Elijah had a prophet's mantle, I've come and I believe that every single leader today in this church, in this time, likewise carries a mantle. Back in the ancient days, They carried a physical mantle. But you better believe that as I look around this room and I see different leaders, I see different families, I see different musicians, I see different ministers, I see people that have been in discipling, I see people who have sacrificed and given so much, and you can look at them and you can see the spiritual mantle that God has placed on their life. You can see that they've consecrated themselves to God in a way that is so beyond what you can imagine. And you don't know what they've been through, but when you look at them or you talk to them about what God has done in their life, you can see the travels. You can see the fasting. You can see the sacrifice. You can see the supernatural blessing and the supernatural covering that used to be an outward sign, but now is an inward sign. We can look around this church at ministers and at families and we can say that it is so clear that he is chosen and she is chosen of God. We can look around the church and we can see prophets, we can see teachers, we can see disciple makers, we can see evangelists, we see people that through everything that has happened in their life, every single time that they've come to church, You can look at them and you can say, I know why they're here. And it's because they've decided that no matter what happens in life, they're gonna be obedient. Whatever God asks of them, whatever God makes up his mind to tell them to do, they've already made up in their mind, God, I'm all in. In my opinion, Every single powerful, you can tell that I'm in awe of the fire falling down from heaven with Elijah's ministry. I would love for God to be able to operate through me in something really cool like that, not gonna lie. But in my opinion, the most powerful part of Elijah's ministry is when he passed on his physical mantle. You see, Elijah was obedient to God. And the verse that we opened up with He was running away, he was scared and yet in that moment that God asked him, what are you doing here? God spoke to him and he gave him a commission, a divine command to pass on his mantle to another man. You see, Elisha, Elisha was that man and Elisha was just a normal guy. We find Elisha working in a field there were eight different pair of oxen, so you can tell, he was from a, a really wealthy family. It's like we've got, you know, somebody with a large farm, and they've got like 12 of those 20-foot- tall tractors. That's a big farm. That's a big family. He was no ordinary man. And yet we see him working with the servants, doing the normal. And we see that as Elijah follows the command of God, under the spirit of God, he comes up on Elisha in a field and he gives him his cloak. Now this has to be just, just being transparent with you guys. I see this as being such a weird interaction. Just, you know, some guy comes out of a cave and he's traveling and traveling and traveling. He's worn this cloak, this, cloak, this mantle. You can see Elijah's already done so many amazing things in his life, Right? This is not a normal cloak. There's probably some some singe on the side of it when God's fire came down. You know, you can see that there's probably an, an oil stain over on the side of it from when God had the miraculous oil that never dried up. This cloak has seen some amazing things. But when God told him that it was time to be able to pass it on to the next generation, pass it on to the next minister, he walked into the field. God said, that's the guy. And he threw the mantle on him. Giving that man the choice to be able to pick it up and to follow him, listen to God or not. I always imagine being Elisha in that moment and, and thinking about leaving everything behind, everything that you knew, everything that you wanted. The most amazing part of this story to me is the reason that Elisha is tilling the ground is because the rain finally came from Elijah following God's word. Elisha was being obedient to his father and family, and then he was obedient to the man of God. You see, Elijah was able to accomplish miraculous things. And yet at the beginning of this story, we read that God proclaims that Elisha was going to have to complete things that Elijah never would be able to because that's the way that God has it set up. When you follow him and you're obedient, you're gonna see miraculous things happen. But God has so much more in store that you will never be able to do, but he will put people in your path to be able to invest in, to be able to grow up, to be able to use, that will be able to do things far greater than you'll ever be able to do on your own. So I see God here tonight saying to us, just like Elijah said to Elisha, I choose you. You are chosen. You're the chosen one. You see, we don't have a physical mantle here tonight. But just as I believe, we can look around this room and you can see the spiritual mantle the spiritual blessing, the spiritual authority that are on some of the leaders in this room, some of the Elijahs in this church, you better but bet and you better believe that there are Elishas, that God is calling to stand up, to step up, and to be able to move in the accomplishment that Elijah never would be able to. You see, sometimes we need to take a look in the mirror And instead of asking ourselves what we're doing here, we need to start realizing that you are chosen. That you are chosen to be the next Elisha. And what does that look like? (laughs) Elijah's biggest struggle throughout his ministry was that he felt alone. His ministry was one of being alone. He was given such a burden for what God wanted to do in that nation. He was given such a burden because he knew what God had spoken to him, and yet he saw prophets killed. He saw Israel completely walk away from what they needed to do and to worship false idols. And yet Elijah realized that he was called to God's will, and he would not give that up. I don't know what Elijah's I'm speaking to tonight. But if you're walking in ministry, if you're walking in your calling to the best of your ability, you bet God knows exactly where you're at. You know that God knows exactly what's going on. I know that sometimes we feel the struggle of life, that we can feel lonely, that we can feel separate, that we can feel broken, that we can look at our family, that we can look at our health, and we can say, things are not as it should be, because I've been obedient, because I've been walking, because I've been listening. But Elijah went through a season of loneliness, and God knew where he was, even hiding in a cave. So no matter what you're going through, Elijah's tonight. God knows what you're going through, and he has said that you are chosen. Now is not the time to give up. Now is not the time to hide. But instead, it's the time to continue moving forward because you're about to see the Elishas come to fruition and come to pass. You're about to see things happen that you cannot even imagine or cannot fathom. The promises that God has given you are going to be just the beginning of what you're going to see in your ministry. God knows where you are tonight. In this story, God slayed all of the false prophets of Israel. There were people that wanted God above everything else, and yet they kept falling to their own desires for, for the easy entertainment. The struggle that Elijah had with tearing down idols is a struggle that we deal with today. And just like God used Elijah to be able to open the eyes of the people of the power of the one and true living God, I want to encourage somebody tonight that every single time that God has called you to be able to step forward, every single Every single time that you've heard the voice of God and, and He's spoken something into your spirit, and you think that's, that's crazy, that's ridiculous, that's so far out of my normal, that's so miraculous. I want to encourage somebody tonight that God has established some Elijahs. I don't know what miracle God has used you in recently but I'm sure that there are plenty of people in this room that could stand up and shout and praise God for miracles, signs, wonders, provision in your family, in your life, and God using you in a miraculous way to say, I have a testimony. And yet something that absolutely kills me is just like it was natural for Elijah after God did the miraculous to run into a cave we find ourselves today thousands of years later doing the same thing you see i started off talking about how something miraculous will happen we move beyond ourselves something something far greater than we could ever do on our own and it's natural for opposition to come up against you elijah had the queen of israel threatening to kill him and that's why he ran now, I understand that none of us today have the president coming against us and saying that he's going to kill us when, when we do something and we reach out to our coworker, we operate in the gifts of the Spirit, we, we pray for somebody and they're healed. The struggle that most of us face is in our minds, in our homes. But I want to encourage somebody that in your mind and in your home, God knows exactly where you're at. Elijah was in the cave hiding, and that's when he was commissioned to go find his Elijah. If you can all stand with me. I'm going to come to a close in the next 30 minutes. I'm so excited about the calling, the growing in depths that God has called this church to. And I know that in our prayer, in our personal lives, every single person, God has such amazing plans for us in such diverse ways. So I wanted to ask a couple of questions before we Come to a close here. And if you feel God pulling you to the altar at any point throughout this, feel free to come up. If you feel to pray in your seat, feel free to pray in your seat. But I know that there's a burden on this church to moving God like we've never moved before. I know that there is a burden in this church to empower the next generation, to empower the people around us to do the miraculous. And that is just the beginning of what God has in store for us. So seasoned saints, Elijah's, maybe you've seen your miraculous work. God's moved in your life and you've seen something powerful happen. But maybe you've been beaten up. Maybe you've been scared. Maybe you're tired from fighting for so long I wanna ask you tonight, where are you? What are your actions showing where you are? Because I wanted to remind you that you are chosen. You have not hit your end, but you are right on the next point of bringing up an Elisha. You're right on the next point of bringing somebody in and raising them up and blessing them so that they can start their ministry. Young adults, I felt to ask you what the enemy has spoken into your life. I know that sometimes, no matter what age you are, you can be stuck in place by fear and by doubt. But no matter what the enemy speaks to you, no matter what the enemy tries to convince us that we are or we are not, if you've been given a mantle, if you've been given the Holy Spirit, if you've been given an anointing and God has called you to be able to operate in his giftings and in his purpose, then you are chosen. No matter what the enemy has for you, no matter what the enemy speaks to you, I'm here to speak to somebody tonight that you are enough, that you are chosen. God knows exactly where we are. This past weeks have not been an accident on what's been spoken into this church. The spiritual moves that have happened. God is calling us so much deeper. God is calling us so much deeper and we get to choose if we answer. I I would like us all to bow our heads and I just want to Pray for this congregation tonight. God, I thank you so much for this word that you've spoken to us, God. Lord, we receive the call to be able to invest in others.